It was fall of 1903, and two brothers from Dayton, Ohio, decided to make a trip out to the East Coast to a town called Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And over the next few months, these two brothers, Orville and Wilbur, worked on the first airplane where if they were successful, they could have the first powerized flight. On December 14th, the airplane was completed. They flipped a coin. Wilbur won, and he decided he would take the first stab at it. The first flight was not too successful. The plane went up in the air for three and a half seconds, then quickly crashed back down to the ground. That one didn't count. Three days later, on the second try, Orville hopped in. The plane was in the air for 12 seconds. 120 feet later, it rested down, and they had the first most successful flight. Over the next year, they had a hard time perfecting it to keep it in the air for more than one minute at a time, but two years later, they could keep that aircraft in the air for half hour or longer until the gas ran out. His two brothers were very successful and they were ready to start marketing their flyers, but they had a little bit of a problem. When they went to the U.S. Department of War to try to sell them, nobody there wanted to believe that these two brothers were capable of such a thing. And when they went abroad to European government officials, they didn't believe them either. Because Orville and Wilbur Wright were just down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth type of guys, nobody wanted to believe that they could be that successful, that they could be that innovative. In the eyes of the world, they it didn't appear to be anything special. Because in the eyes of the world, in order to be a success, you need to put on an image that you are successful. And in fact, every self-help book or time management book that maybe you've read in the last 20 years teaches us to ask ourselves these questions. Do I have time for this? Will this help me succeed? Will this make me happy? Do I want this person in my life right now? And in the eyes of the world, there is always a constant pressure to be the best person that we can be, to give a good impression, to dress, to impress, and the list goes on and on and on. I don't know about you, but that seems to put a little bit of pressure on an individual. I need to give an impression that I have everything all together. But what Jesus teaches us through his word this morning is that it doesn't have to be like that because Jesus teaches that through the work of his Holy Spirit, through his word, through the gospel, he creates in our heart humble Christian character. And we learn this from Luke chapter 14. In verse 1, we learn that Jesus was invited to a dinner of a prominent Pharisee. The Pharisees were kind of the movers and the shakers. The Pharisees ran the religious scene, and the Pharisees were very concerned about their public image. They wanted to appear humble, but in reality, they were not. There's something today called a humble brag, and it's used a lot on social media like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's when someone tries to show off how humble they are. 
It's like someone saying, I just volunteered eight hours of my Saturday at the pet shelter. What a reward. I wish more people would do stuff like this. That's kind of what the Pharisees were like. They were known to dress in sackcloth, ragged clothing, and ashes, and to give the impression that they were devout and repentant and pious, but in reality, all they cared, all they cared about is what people thought of them. They liked the spotlight to shine on them. They wanted the spotlight to be on them, but when Jesus came onto the scene and began his ministry, he rode in on a wave of popularity and the crowds began following him. The crowds began listening to him and the Pharisees got jealous, so they looked for a way to get him arrested. They looked for a way where he would slip up in his words and say something wrong. And three times in Luke, we hear that they invite him over to their houses, and we hear that they're watching Jesus carefully. They have a close eye on Jesus to see whether he's going to slip up. But the very next verse that we see, verse 7, which is printed out, we learn that Jesus is watching them, and he's about ready to tell them what they need to hear. Because as the guests started coming into the dining area, they didn't take a seat that the host told them to take. They didn't wait to see who was going to sit near the head of the table. Back then, the horses or the tables were shaped like horseshoes, and the host sat at the head of the table, the most distinguished guest to the right or left of him, and then on down throughout the sides. Everyone was going for the places of honor right next to the host. And so while Jesus is watching this, everybody wanting to take the best spot, he decides that he's going to expose a problem in their hearts and in their minds and in their spiritual lives. He tells them a parable, a story that we can relate to that that conveys a spiritual meaning, and he says, imagine this, you go to a wedding reception, don't walk right up to the head table and sit next to the bride or the groom, because somebody that is near and dear to them, somebody that is more respected may come, and you might have to be asked to move down to a lower seat. Instead, think about it this way. When you go to a wedding reception, sit all the way in the back, and when the bride or the groom comes in, they will say, friend, move up closer. Take a better seat for yourself. Because all who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus flips that over. Everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. And when a humility is forced upon you, when a humility is thrust upon you, that's, that's not humility. We call that humiliation. And as people who live in a fallen world, as people who carry around a sinful nature that they have inherited from their parents, you and I, by default, want to think of ourselves as the most important people ever. On some level, you and I all are guilty of lacking humility. Maybe you're the type of person who goes out and does great things. Maybe you're the type of person who volunteers many hours and puts in a lot of time and effort and your main motivation in doing so is just to be seen or just to be praised. 
Sometimes we want our humble service to be rewarded, which doesn't make it humble service at all. Or maybe we're the other type of person who doesn't want any type of credit or praise for what we have done. Maybe we're the type of person who would rather remain hidden and unseen and go incognito. But as that type of person, we can still lack humility if things don't go our way. If people infringe upon our comfort zone, if people ask us to help them out and it's viewed as an inconvenience, then we're telling them that our wants and needs are more important than their wants and needs. Arrogance and pride is a dangerous thing as Christians. Because when we start viewing what we want and need as the most important thing, what God wants for our lives, his will, that begins to be hidden by our own ego. When we seek to be praised for what we have done or have not done as Christians, our Savior is shrinking down as the way to our salvation. And when our Savior points out these flaws in our pride and in our ego as he did with the Pharisees, he brings us down in humility and repentance and directs us to his love. Philippians chapter 2 describes Jesus. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness like you and me, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In humility, Jesus gave up the highest spot in the universe, his throne in heaven, and he did not consider that of any advantage to you and me if he were to continue to reign. So he humbled himself by coming down to earth to live among us. He put our greatest needs in front of his ones. Jesus willingly died on the cross for you and for me, so all of our pride, all of our arrogance may be washed away in his blood. And as a result, you and I have been given a, as a gift of his free love, a spot in heaven which never ends, all its joys and all its pleasures. When Jesus brings us down low in repentance and exalts us with a sure and certain hope of heaven itself, he creates in us humble Christian character. It's a change of heart. And what that looks like in each of your lives, I can't be exactly sure. If you're the type of person who already volunteers, if you're the type of person who puts long hours in to helping others out, then humility is not seeking any recognition from it. If you're the type of person who does not want to receive praise, if you're the type of person who does not like responsibility, humility looks like keeping your eyes open for the needs of others. And what did humility look like for these Pharisees? Jesus tells them. 
When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Give to those who are in need. Allow those who cannot have great experiences to share in what you have. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees that you will be a blessing to them and you in turn will be blessed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the closest opportunity, the most available opportunity that you and I have to serve others humbly is where we are at in our community. If you have neighbors, be the best and most humble neighbor they have ever known. And so reflect the love of Christ Jesus who loves you and me all the same. If there is someone a few doors down who doesn't seem to have it all together, make friends with them without thought of repayment. And so reflect the love of Christ Jesus who loves all people the same. Because he has sent us here to be blessings to others. And he uses our kindness as an open door through which people can come to know more about his love, his salvation, and his humility for us. And you might be thinking to yourselves, well, pastor, what if I am kind to people? What if I help people out financially and they're simply taking advantage of my kindness? Well, it is true that you can't help everybody out all the time. You have yourself to take care of, your family to take care of, your friends to take care of. Jesus doesn't expect us to give anything and everything. He expects us to be kind and humble, and if somebody takes advantage of that, that's all right. Because Jesus says you will be repaid at the resurrection. At the resurrection of the dead, you will leave behind the temporary things of this world, your money, your land, your families themselves, and you will be raised to life everlasting. Jesus has your back. Jesus will repay you. I am humbled by the call here to serve as a second pastor at Zion Lutheran Church, and I pray together that we would humbly serve this community, Columbus and its surrounding towns, and we remember the one most important thing as we work together. That the humility of Jesus Christ is what saves us. The humility of Jesus Christ that is shown through us in our words and actions saves others. May we seize this opportunity as this church has done over the last 161 years and continue to do so into the future. God grant it. Amen.